Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, Episode 20. But when data becomes the sole measure of, uh, or, or quantitized data become the sole measure of a teacher's quality of performance, it then has this insidious effect of shifting the teacher's uh, role or focus away from his or her student. And that would include being an advocate for uh, their students uh, to one who's simply, you know, just there to teach to the test. You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Happy Monday to everyone who is listening to this the first day it comes out. Um, or a week after, or two weeks, or three weeks, or whatever it is. <laughs> um, but happy Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to everybody else. Um, wow, a, a really good conversation today. Um, I sit down with Dr. Gerald Latandra, and I want to apologize. I believe I said his name incorrectly once or twice on the episode. So Dr. Latandra, I apologize. Um, but uh, Dr. Latandra has written a number of books, including his latest, which is titled uh, The International Handbook on Teacher Quality and Policy. And that's really what we dive into today is what is teacher quality and what is teacher leadership? Um, and some of his experience uh, being a professor of the teacher leadership program there at Penn State. Um, and unfortunately, with this episode, we didn't really get to cover as much as I wanted to because we were having some uh, technology issues that uh, we ended up just saying, you know what, we'll bring him back on a second time and dive into all, all of his current work and what he's doing um, research-wise and uh, teaching-wise up there at Penn State. So um, we will bring him back for a second episode. But in this episode, um, really, it's it's a great episode in terms of uh, maybe adjusting our focus on what teacher leadership looks like. Um, and what's really fascinating is uh, we brought in his experience with um, working over in Japan and seeing some of the differences between the U.S. education system and the Japanese education system. Um, and really that comparison uh, is just a really fascinating conversation. So I hope you get some value out of that. As always, everything that we say in this episode, you can find on our show notes page. Those are located at jabadoo.com slash show 20. That is J-A-B-B-E-D-U.com slash show with the number two zero. We have a newsletter, an email newsletter that I'd love for you to subscribe to. Uh, you can do that right there on the show notes page or at the homepage at jabadoo.com. And that really, uh, at this point, is just a reminder that we have an episode that releases. But in the future, um, we're planning to put out some, some video content and some more stuff. So uh, we'll keep you in the loop with that stuff. Uh, we've got a Facebook group would love for you to be a part of. Again, link to that is on our show notes page, or you can go to facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo. We would love to have you join that conversation. And I guess that's it. <laughs> Let's get into our conversation with Dr. Gerald Latandra. All right. Today on the Jabadoo Education Podcast, we've got Gerald Latendra. Uh, he is the uh, co-editor of the American Journal of Education and is the Harry Lawrence Bachelet Chair of Educational Administration at Penn State University. Did I say that all right? That's great. You got all it. All right. I think I got it. So uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, taking the time to chat with us today on Jabadoo Education Podcast. How are you doing? It's great. I'm great. Uh, very happy to be here, John. Uh, looking forward to talking with you. 
Yeah, thank you. And I know that we're uh, we're on Zoom, obviously, with with everything that's going on. We would have been on Zoom anyway because you're in Penn State and I'm down around the Philadelphia area. But um, it's just COVID world, sure. isn't it? That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, it is. So. All right. Well, I always say the best place to start a story is at the beginning. So why don't you just uh, take us back through uh, your educational experience? Uh, maybe what were some of the, the leading, um, the things that you uh, took out of, you know, being elementary, middle school, high school, and kind of what led you down the path to your uh, sociology degree from Harvard? Sure. Well, you know, education was central to my life. Um, I was born and raised in rural northern Minnesota uh, in a very poor family um, uh, in, a, in an area where my family and others, uh, you know, there was a significant amount of alcoholism and poverty, uh, abuse, and uh, education was the way out. Uh, and it was a critical uh, way out for me. And my teachers uh, played a tremendous role in that. Um, that was a time, at least in the state of Minnesota, where, you know, uh, there was the kind of funding that allowed even a, a very poor rural school district like mine to have excellent teachers. Um, and those teachers were not just excellent in instruction, they were real leaders in the community, which I think perhaps was the seed of my interest in, you know, teacher leadership and this, this knowledge of teacher quality something that goes beyond the classroom, um, right. you know, an ability to be active in the lives and the, in the lives of the families and the communities the, of the schools in which you teach. Um, so indeed, I was able to secure a, a scholarship uh, to go to Harvard. Um, couldn't have afforded it otherwise. Yeah. Um, and there again, you know, my life was transformed uh, by education. Uh, I had the opportunity to... Uh, you know, study uh, with some of the, you know, most famous uh, scholars of the day. Sure. Um, and uh, that really, you know, impressed upon me just how much uh, a tr truly high quality education can do uh, to move an individual uh, through life. And I think it's, uh, it's given me an appreciation over the years of how hard it is uh, to maintain that kind of quality of education mm -hmm. for all. Um, and as I, you know, look at our country today, I see that, you know, we've in some ways gone backwards. I think it's, it's more expensive. Uh, funding is more unequal. We have more racial segregation in, in terms of our schools now than when, uh, you know, when I was in uh, college, certainly. Um, so, you know, the motivation really comes from those early, those early uh, uh, teachers who really, you know, had the wherewithal to act then more than just an instructor in the classroom, mm -hmm. but truly as a, a motivator, a mentor. Um, and is I there, look back on them very fondly. Is there one teacher that sticks out in uh, particular? That, and if there is, why? Sure, I'll give a shout out to uh, Kevin Williams, uh, <laughs> if this ever gets back to him. Uh, he was actually the high school music teacher, uh, mm -hmm. as well as the judo coach. Um, <laughs> okay. Kevin, I finally got my black belt 40 years later, <laughs> but you know, he was just emblematic. So here's a guy who's a rural music teacher, but you know, and, and I'm sure you can empathize. You're a music teacher. Right, he, yeah. he was there after school. He organized the, uh, the 4th of July parade that we participated in the community, the Christmas pageant that, you know, our, our community had. And because he was into judo, he opened a judo club. 
So, I mean, this go. guy gave his, his life uh, to us at the school. I don't think we appreciated it at the time, of course, because we were 15 and 16 year olds. Yeah. And what do you know, when you're 15 or 16, right? Hindsight's um, 20, or 2020. Good Lord. Hindsight's 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, but, but he wasn't the only one. There were a number of others who, like I said, um, you know, were so much more than just instructors. Uh, they were active members of the community, um, cared about, you know, students and were supported in that by, you know, a culture and a community that, that placed that value in education. I want to say right. that clearly because we fall into this trap in education and, you know, um, uh, I always use the, you know, the reference to stand and deliver of Jaime Escalante. Uh, people looked at that and they said, well, see, with a good teacher, you can do anything. But, um, you know, guys like Jaime Escalante are, are not that common. That's an incredible human being. And I think it's unfair to expect every last teacher to meet that standard when they're not, uh, you know, in schools and in communities that support them. Um, and that, I think, is a critical part of this idea of, you know, quality. Um, that it's right. not something that's dependent simply upon the, the or shouldn't be dependent upon the, the teacher's strength of will or their willingness to devote their whole life to teaching and ignore all other aspects of their life. Mm -hmm. There right. has to be that community support. Yeah. Yeah. And there's certainly, I mean, more, more is being talked about that work-life balance and teachers are not immune to needing that as well. Um, but uh, one thing that you, you just said was, you know, uh, this teacher that you had, uh, you know, back in, was that middle school or high school? That was high school. This high school teacher. High school. Um, my uh, so my mom has made a couple of debuts on this episode. She's also a, a high school teacher, um, and or not on this episode, but on this podcast. Uh, and she, uh, I was just chatting with her about because we're both struggling with this COVID uh, COVID nineteen pandemic and how it's affecting our teaching. And I was struggling with the concept of how, my lessons that I'm putting out. I felt like I was working so hard on them, but I didn't feel like I was adding any value through, through those lessons. I just kind of felt like, even though as, as hard as I was working, those lessons were more or less busy work to take up the students times. And I was kind of complaining to her um, about this and it was just like, I, I don't see any value in this. And she, she helped me remind, or she helped me see that oftentimes with teaching, you don't see the value until years later. Right. Mm -hmm. And she had a, a colleague who um, student or not student taught, but uh, for uh, I'm not sure if it was one year or just a handful of years taught at another school district and uh, has now moved to the district that my mom teaches in. And she just found out that one of her students from that other school district uh, ended up going to college for becoming a chemistry teacher, which is what she was. And she had never heard, like never touched base with the student after leaving that school district, just like through. And she's like, yeah, it was because of of this teacher that I had. That's why I went into being a chemistry teacher. And it's like these, these impacts that happen that you will never hear about. Um, and that was just such a, right. a great little perspective. Right. Um, and you kind of confirmed that yeah. a little bit with, uh, with chatting about your high school band director. So that's pretty cool. Well, the other thing too is, you know, you have to have good mentors. And so you're lucky to have a mother who's an experienced teacher. Um, my first mentors were actually three Japanese teachers uh, because my uh, second teaching job was actually uh, in Japan. After I graduated from college, I went overseas. I taught in a refugee camp. I came back and then I did three years in rural Japan as an English teacher. Uh, and I had three amazing uh, mentors, uh, Mrs. Yamaguchi, Yamada, and Kitajima, um, who were, you know, these decades-long veterans uh, who had that experience and were able to impart that to me. 
you know, again, when you talk about leadership and quality, part of what uh, is so important is that young teachers are exposed to, you know, dynamic, motivated senior teachers. Um, and in Japan, what I saw was this was built into the culture at that time. Uh, right. Now, things have changed and it's a big country, right? So I, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to essentialize Japan. But that was a critical eye-opening experience for me. And it really, again, hit me um, how critical it is to have those, you know, strong mentors uh, in the lives of young teachers to, you know, keep them going through the tough times, like when they're teaching a course uh, and they think all they're doing is busy work, seat work, uh, like your mom did. Yeah. Um, but then to show them too the possibilities and, and to take that leadership role. Yeah. Yeah. And I always find, um, I, I was just uh, chatting with, um, right before I was chatting with you, I was chatting with somebody else. And we both agreed that just uh, the ability to go abroad and learn from other cultures and other uh, uh, places in our world is so valuable. And um, from my limited knowledge of Japanese culture, I, I understand that uh, community is so important uh, compared to um, the United States culture, just like the, the power of more is greater than the power of the individual. Did you see that reflected in the education? Well, you know, I've lived in a lot of different places in the U.S., uh, Minnesota, the Bay Area, the Deep South, uh, Boston, and now Central Pennsylvania. So I think that we have places in the U.S. that have just as strong sense of community. Um, and certainly what you'll see in Japan is that there are still areas that have these deeply traditional values. But, you know, when you go to Tokyo... Uh, the biggest city in the world right now, or the biggest city in human history, if you want to look at it mm. that way, you know, you still see that same kind of disconnection, isolation. What's been really sad to me over the years is to watch um, how the status of teachers has sort of diminished in Japan. Um, mm. You know, you talk about overwork. Uh, Japanese teachers work some of the longest hours of any developed country. Wow. Um, and teacher burnout uh, due to overwork is a, is a critical problem for them. Um, and then part that has to do with the fact that, you know, teachers are expected to do so much. They're expected to have so many different roles in the lives of their students. Uh, and I think earlier in time, there was more of the community support, cultural support for that. But, um, you know, that's eroded in Japan as it, as it kind of has eroded here, too, uh, where it's been reduced, you know, to a job. You know, certain accountability standards you have to meet and the whole idea of it teaching and learning and schooling as a community that's more organic nature to it rather than a mechanistic nature, uh, I think is a global trend you're seeing that's eroding teacher quality and the, you know, the lives, the quality of the lives of teachers and students around the world. And you're certainly seeing, I mean, that's not an unknown fact for the United States that teacher burnout in those first couple of years is uh, a, a big uh, issue that uh, needs, needs addressing. And that's kind of where, um, not necessarily the burnout aspect, but definitely the, the teacher quality and kind of what makes uh, what what influences these uh, teachers that we hold up, uh, like you said earlier, like what what are some of those aspects? So um, <clears throat> transitioning from your uh, your uh, teaching uh, not career, but your teaching experience over in Japan, um, what what took place over there that kind of got you down this road of educational leadership? Well, it was really seeing those different models, you know, um, and uh, I just want to, you know, put in here uh, yeah. uh, a, a disclaimer because teacher quality is often used 
um, in a rather negative way to refer to a kind of mechanistic mm. um, measurement of the teacher. And in fact, a lot of the colleagues I work with don't like it. They prefer the term instructional. Uh, My problem with that is that teachers do a lot more than uh, instruct in the classroom. Sure. Um, so when I say teacher quality, I'm not talking about some value-added method or a reductivist score. I'm talking about this idea of a broader set of qualities uh, that you see in teachers. Um, and, uh, you know, it really speaks again back to this idea of, of leadership. So what really struck me in Japan was how much teachers run everything. Um, <laughs> at least in the schools I was in, they, they run the school. The, the principal's a figurehead, really. Gotcha. Um, kind of does exterior relations. Everything is, is organized, run by the teachers. So mm -hmm. they have tremendous power and control, um, but also then tremendous ability to enact curriculums. Sure. And if you contrast that to, you know, say here in, in the U.S., I look at uh, the teachers here in Pennsylvania, they, you know, they have to worry if their states are hitting the Keystone standards. Um, there's this relentless, uh, you know, obsession with uh, certain forms of scores. Um, this all takes power away from teachers to define what, you know, qualities they really want to develop in their students. And it takes away... Um, uh, uh, authority or autonomy from communities to to talk about and have you know real discussions with teachers about the qualities they want uh, instilled in the schools for their children um, and I think that uh, going back to your early point about sense of community in Japan and the US I think that's part of the erosion that we have moved away from um, an understanding of education as more uh, of a community function uh, to one that is, you know, very much a mechanistic um, outcome measurement based uh, sort of process. Yeah. And I mean, just like, just like anything, treating uh, teachers and students as machines, as being, here's an input, here's the expected output is obviously just not, uh, it's not reasonable, right? Uh, <laughs> to treat humans as, as those machines that kind of is what some of these standardized tests are trying to report. Right. Here's the data. Exactly. We're so driven by data and data can be helpful to guide instruction. Right. But not just as a set of standards. Oh, absolutely. And data has, you know, as, as we can see, has shown the, the tremendous inequalities uh, in our system. You know, the black white achievement gap is well documented. Right. But when data becomes the sole measure of uh, or, or quantized data become the sole measure of a teacher's quality of performance, it then has this insidious effect of shifting the teacher's uh, role or focus away from his or her student. And that would include being an advocate for uh, their students mm. uh, to one who's simply, you know, just there to teach to the test. Uh, and Japan, of course, has suffered from that. And that, again, really disturbed me uh, or has disturbed me as I've seen this trend, because one of the critical roles teachers can play is as a leader and an advocate, advocate for social justice, for the equity yeah. um, and fairness for all their students. And, you know, to mobilize uh, voices in the community to get the resources that the school needs to have. Um, and this is a critical role that teachers can play. And it's, uh, I won't foreshadow too much, but in the resource I'm going to share with you, uh, the, the new teacher leadership competencies and standards that NEA and others have put out, this is, this is made a core part of, you know, what teaching is. Um, so I think you, you know, we have a double, 
it's a situation where, you know, data can be important, but we can be really misled by an overt or sole focus on data. Sure. The exclusion of the other goals that, you know, teachers have to address. And now you even like we've, I've had this conversation before too, where you, you almost take data at its face value, but really the data can be skewed by the way it's presented to you as well. Right. Or if data is left out and that's not talked about, or that's not, uh, acknowledge that, well, here's, here's 95% of it, but we're not going to talk about that 5% that we also found out, you know, there's, there can be challenges with that too. Um, but going back to what you said earlier about, uh, this focus on standardized tests, I'd never really made that connection where the teacher now has this responsibility to bring all of their students up to a certain standard based on the data of the tests. And, if you by shifting the focus away from the students to that data, there's certainly uh, going to be some side effects of that that we probably don't want. Well, and and so that's why it's a subtle point. Certainly, the focus should be getting you know all students um, uh, to their greatest proficiency and eliminate those those differences that arise from systematic bias. So the yes. test data is important, and when when you see these incredible black white differences or you know differences between whites and and Latino Latina students, you know something's wrong. Um, but at the same time, it can focus uh, movement away. Uh, from the kind of research that really helps to understand why that is and what to do about it. And, you know, in our teacher leadership for master's program, uh, in our final course, capstone course that we teach is all about a research inquiry pro uh, project. And we do a lot of work talking about just what you said about how there are different standards uh, for research. You know, there's standards that we as academics have, uh, you know, for publishable research in journals. Um, you know, what we focus on in the, the teacher leadership program is teaching them good research skills, how to be good consumers of academic research, right. but how to be savvy about the research of the inquiry they produce for themselves uh, and for their schools and their peers. Uh, you know, so our goal is not to have them produce some master's thesis uh, that may be read by a handful of academics, but to produce research that has really meaningful results for them and their students. Yeah, and that's definitely uh, so important. And, and one of the reasons why I, you know, this, I say it all the time, I started this podcast to try to connect that uh, bridge between research being done and how teachers can begin to apply it. Um, so, yeah, this is great. Uh, going from, uh, you know, let's, let's dive in a little bit more to teacher leadership and mm -hmm. uh, some of the research that you're doing with that. So um, I guess, what are, are, is there anything that sticks out with the research that you've done and the stuff that you've read that says these are some of the things teachers should focus on doing in order to become the leaders that society expects teachers to be? Okay. So I want to focus on this idea of do uh, culture or what is the cultural expectation rather than what teachers need to develop as qualities okay. because what I what I see is that uh, in a place like Japan they have evolved clear expectations for what leadership can be and have evolved clear structures to support that development in general in most schools I work with in the US we do not and I'm pretty confident about saying that because the graduates of our teacher leadership program talk about how they have to create their own job. 
there's not a clear set of expectations in most districts for what a teacher leader is to be. Gotcha. Some districts, you know, will have a formal role like department chair or, or curriculum coordinator, but often our students are creating their own role. They're creating the expectations uh, as they move into these leadership roles. So I think that's a real, the real fundamental problem. We need to have a broader understanding of the kind of leadership teachers can provide um, rather than putting the onus back on, you know, some young teacher and saying, well, here's the skills you need to develop. Now, there certainly are skills. Um, and, you know, what I would highlight is, again, that once you've mastered the subject specialty you're in, so you can't teach music if you're a history teacher. You can't teach <laughs> math if you're a music teacher, right? At least not very well. And that's a big problem. Um, we have a huge out-of-field teaching problem in this country. Um, so again, I want to be you know, realistic. You can't expect a, a teacher to be a great teacher leader if he or she is trying to overnight come up to speed in a, tub, a subject they were assigned last week. Right. Uh, it's impossible. Uh, it's just not human. Uh, it, it, yeah, it would tax anyone. So um, once you have that, though, the skills that I see are really critical to develop are a keen sense of the classroom, uh, to really understand the human beings that are in your classroom on a deeper level, because it's really about learning about how they learn, what motivates them, what excites them, what, what throws them off. Hmm. Um, that comes then with more experience in the classroom, with more mentoring, um, but really I think leads to a much, you know, more effective uh, pedagogy. Yeah, very interesting, very uh, insightful. Um, just for, for the sake of, I, I'm afraid our connection is getting worse and worse as we go. So I, I hate to, to speed this up uh, and, and cut you off short. We'll definitely have to have you back a second time just when the connection sure. can be a little bit better. Um, but uh, is there anything that you wanted to touch on here before we wrap up and go to our exit ticket questions? Yeah, just to, just to restate that um, a lot is already put on teachers. And I am in no, by no means advocating, you know, every teacher should strive to be this leader. Rather, I think that we need to Think about our schools and the support we give them to allow teachers to develop those leadership skills, not because it's going to improve their careers, but because it's going to improve our schools and it's going to improve the education that all our children have access to. Uh, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, when teachers are given more of that opportunity and that support, that's the direction we'll go into. Because I've never met an educator yet who said, yeah, I did it for the money. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's not our motivation. We did it for the students. We did it for the love of learning. Um, and given, you know, the, the proper support um, and, and interactions with the community, um, teachers can have those same amazing impacts as I experienced when I was a young man. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, uh, I forget what the exact uh, phrase was that you just said, but it's not the money, but it's, it's the impact. That's the word that I'm looking for. It's, it's mm -hmm. at least for me. And I think for a lot of teachers, it's that uh, whatever the desire is inside of us to say, 
I want to leave my mark, a positive mark on the world. Uh, education is definitely one of the most uh, accessible ways for individuals to do that within their career path. You know, there's certainly a number of wonderful uh, nonprofits and other companies that have been started to leave those positive impacts. But for uh, the the mass majority of us who who aren't interested in being a, a, a you know a corporate uh, the CEO or the starter or the, you know, the, um, the business starter, but, um, still have that internal desire to, uh, leave an impact. And I think that's where most of it comes from. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's head then over to our exit ticket questions. So these are the same four sure. questions that I ask everyone who comes on. And the first one is what is a book that you think all teachers should read? So my book would be an old Japanese uh, autobiography slash story called Toto-chan, The Little Girl at the Window. Okay. And it's the story uh, uh, of a Japanese woman uh, experience in World War II in a Tokyo school. Uh, she later went on to become a very famous singer and I believe a peace ambassador for Japan. So she's quite famous. But what this book shows is, one, how teacher leaders could create a humanistic environment in the midst of one of the most violent totalitarian regimes of the modern era, uh, 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 the militaristic Showa Japan. Two, the book talks about how the lead teacher, the the principal, in in effect, created a learning environment where children with disabilities, children with different learning uh, abilities, all could flourish. And I think that those parts of the novel stuck with me because they show that teachers, of course, can perpetuate systems of inequality, particularly Mm -hmm. when they're under stress and when the the system is is very rigid. Um, But given that insight, most teachers, as you said, you know, they're motivated by their values. Mm -hmm. And what the the novel does is show how beautifully both the children and the teachers respond to this idea that you can reshape your career so that it is open to all and that all the children can flourish. Uh, And it's told in very beautiful language. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's, that's been a favorite of mine for 30 years. Ah, fantastic. I'll, uh, I always say this to all my guests because most of the books that they suggest I haven't read yet. So now I've got a, a, a list that's stacking up of books that I need to read so I can be able to talk about them, but that, that will be added to my list. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, sure. What about um, even within uh, any of your research that we didn't get to get a chance to touch on today, uh, what would be either a resource or a couple of resources that teachers should check out um, for uh either digital or hard, hard copies? Sure. Well, you know, I don't want to overwhelm people. There are so many resources. There are so, so many. So I sent you a link uh, to one, and I'm just going to pull it up here because I always forget the title. Um, so this is called The Teacher Leadership Competencies, and it's hmm. a product of the Teacher Leadership Institute and the National Education Association. And what really strikes me is, uh, I think it's like page six, it talks about foundational competencies. And you had asked a question about that before. What do young teachers need? And, you know, they start competencies in diversity, equity, and cultural competence, as well as 
these overarching competencies in engaging diverse groups of people, interpersonal effectiveness. Um, and I think those are the kind of skills that we often don't talk about in teacher education programs or in our dialogues in the country about teaching. Uh, and I think that document does a really nice job of highlighting how central those are, not just for teacher leaders per se, you know, but for all teachers. All right. Yeah, I'll dive through that as well. And uh, just, if I didn't say it before, everything that we talk about on this episode will be found on our show notes page. So uh, I will make sure to include a link to that. Question number three would be, what one piece of advice would you like to give teachers, maybe particularly teachers who are just starting off their careers? Study your classroom. Hmm. You've got to know your subject. And most young teachers I've worked with, you know, are continue to learn about their subject through their early years. But as much as you can, learn, learn, learn about the kids in your class. Yeah. Know them inside and out, what they love, what they like, uh, how they talk, who their friends are because that is what is going to give you the knowledge that you need to reach them, to motivate them, to help them, to console them. Um, and I think a lot of young teachers, again, are very pressured to, uh, you know, hit the curriculum standard, teach what's supposed to be taught. It's, it's a tremendous pressure. I, I have no misapprehensions about that. Mm -hmm. But when you can, as much as you can, learn about your kids. Yeah, that was, um, we had David Kirkland on uh, the episode or a few episodes back and he started with, um, he's out of NYU. I'm not sure. You gave me a face like you recognize the name. I didn't sure if you know him or not. Um, but he, sure. he said that there's uh, research that they're doing at, out of NYU that basically confirms that if you spend the first two, three, four weeks or whatever it was, just doing activities to know your students and for students to know you and for students to know each other, and to know the expectations of your classroom. If you start with that, the classrooms that started with those two or three weeks of just uh, socio or um, of social learning were able to go farther yeah. academically by the end of the year with less uh, behavior issues throughout the year as well. So yeah, it just speaks so much uh, to how important it is to build those relationships because um, it builds trust. And when you can build trust with a student, then they'll be able to listen and be able to engage in your teaching. So, um, yeah, I love that. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And then, uh, we'll wrap up with, uh, if anybody has any questions about what they heard on today's episode, or they're just curious about, uh, wanting to learn more, where's the best place that we can send them? Sure. Uh, it's my last name at psu.edu, latondra at psu.edu. And, uh, there are not that many people with that last name. So probably a quick Google search will identify me. <laughs> there you go. And as always, it'll also be on our show notes page. So yeah, uh, this has been fantastic. Like I said, I'm sorry, the, the connection one is, wasn't as great. We'll definitely have you back on, but um, yeah, Gerald, uh, Dr. Gerald Latendra, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. It's been a real pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. And there you go. Um, like I said, we will have uh, Gerald back on uh, a future episode uh, to dive into all of his stuff. So, um, But for this episode, this idea of education leadership is somewhat redundant, isn't it? <laughs> right? All educators are leaders. It's just natural. Um, I have 
I've attended a couple of uh, leadership conferences, uh, not necessarily specific to education, but um, every time I've heard, every time I've gone, I've heard the same thing. Leadership is influence. If you have influence, you are a leader. And that has stuck with me a lot. Um, so for you, thinking about your day as a teacher, I mean, how many times a day do you have the opportunity to influence someone or something? Um, it, I've, I've also heard it said that uh, leadership is service, right? You can't be a successful leader if you are self-serving. It always has to be about the people uh, you are wanting to lead, right? Wanting to influence. And I really liked uh, Gerald's quote when he said, um, we need to think about our schools and the support we give them to allow teachers to develop those leadership school skills. Not because it's going to improve their careers, but because it's going to improve our schools and it's going to improve the education that all our students have access to. Teachers, you are leaders. <laughs> there is no escaping it. So acknowledge your influence and uh, and serve your students and your community and do it selflessly. And by doing that, you will become a great leader in the world of education. So um, that is my nugget for you today. So uh, I hope uh, you are getting through these tough times. Uh, they won't last forever. Uh, we are inching closer and closer to Thanksgiving and winter break each day and each week. So push through. You've got this. And until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.